0: good morning church family it's great to see you it's wonderful to praise the lord with you your praise is um it's so powerful whenever god's people just agree together and praise and lifting up who the lord jesus is i don't know if you were able to keep up with some of the references to scripture that we were singing but they were all sprinkled through there you know it's powerful whenever you look into god's word It doesn't matter if it's at your house and there you are in your morning devotions looking in god's word i encourage you to do that Uh, but also when you sit in a sunday school class when you come to hear a message from god's word you know the bible says that the word of god is like a sword that pierces it is like a mirror that reveals it is like a seed that reproduces it is like milk that nourishes it is like a lamp that shines it is like a fire that consumes and it is like a hammer that shatters so wherever you are this day god's word can connect with you and minister to you at your deepest need i want to invite you to turn with me to luke chapter 14 to luke's gospel chapter 14. as one enters the 14th chapter of luke's gospel jesus has been invited to a dinner party But this dinner party was at the home of a ruler of the pharisees and luke 14 1 says that they were watching him carefully they were watching him carefully really and truly it was like a trap they were baiting the trap the meal was actually on the sabbath and so there was a man there with what's called dropsy Uh, we would call it today edema but it's swelling whenever uh, fluid gets in the tissues, uh, in the skin. Maybe the Pharisees has had arranged for this guy to be there because they didn't feel like anyone should be healing on the Sabbath. And so this was a Sabbath day. That's what it says. Luke 14, one, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And there's a man right in front of him who needs healing. You know, uh, already Jesus had healed three different times on a Sabbath. Would it be okay with you if God was able to restore someone uh, to life, restore someone to their health, or even physically if need be? But Jesus had done it three times on a Sabbath. Would it be okay on a Sunday? After Jesus heals the man, he discerns that the pride and the rejection of the Lord Jesus was filling up the room. So what Jesus does in his own creative genius way, he begins to paint a picture, a beautiful picture of salvation. He paints it not with a paintbrush, but he paints it with words. He was so skillful at that. He shares two parables. In these two parables, he tells first about a wedding A wedding uh, banquet, wedding feast, and then he goes and tells the second parable about a great banquet. Not necessarily a wedding banquet, but a great banquet. He's going to address three different people from verses 7 all the way down through the uh, end of our text, verse 24, but in verse 7 he first addressed those who were invited. So he's going to talk to the guests who were at this banquet where he was at the Pharisees home at the dinner party. But if you skip down to verse 12 he makes a few remarks to the to the host, to the man who had invited him to this dinner party there in the Pharisees home. But when you get down to verses 15 and 16 there's another address that he gives to one individual who was a guest and the man makes a comment he was responding to something that Jesus says at the, uh, in verse 14. He says, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Speaking about inviting all these different kind of people who can't pay you back if you invite them over to your house. He says, For you will be repaid, Jesus says, at the resurrection of the just. So he's pointing to the future. He's pointing to a future banquet. He's pointing to a future reward. So one of those members that was sitting there at that table says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus was a master in his use of words, word pictures, parables, and so forth. As a matter of fact, throughout the Gospel of Luke, there are 24 different parables that he gives. He would take truth and he would illustrate it with an image or a story. He would use wineskins. He would use a lamp on a stand. He would use wise and foolish builders, a lender forgiving debt. He would use a sower sowing seed. He would talk about a good Samaritan. He would talk about a friend in need, a rich fool, a barren fig tree mustard seed. But then when you come to Luke 14, he's going to talk about a banquet. A banquet, not a dinner party that he's sitting at at the moment, but a future one. A future banquet in heaven. The key word that he's going to use is the word invite. The word invite. The word invite or the word invitation, if you were to start at verse 7 and count all the way down through verse 24, 12 different times. He keeps on bringing this word up, invite. He had been invited to the dinner party. So he uses that. He meets you and me where we are and he will speak to us and say, this is what I'm saying to you. Maybe today something's going to trigger just like in this passage. You know, Jesus' last comment triggered this man. He's thinking, wow, it's getting intense in this place. So he says, you know what? Here, I got a way to resolve the conflict. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So I want to invite you, if you will, to stand with me. I want us to read what Jesus said in response to this man's comment. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Verse 16 begins like this. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them please have me excused and another said I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come So the servant came and reported these things to his master and then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor crippled, and blind, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, you've painted a, a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of salvation. I pray that you would let this passage come alive for each person. Lord, use the Holy Spirit to quicken our spirit, to, to help us have understanding, spiritual understanding. Thank you for this, this parable. Thank you for how you always wanted to communicate to those whose hearts were open. For those whose hearts were closed, they simply would not, not understand the parables. But those who had open hearts, you were trying to put it down there where we could understand. So give us comprehension. Help each person in this place to know where we are as we think about salvation. For truly, it is breathtaking. It's amazing. It's gracious. It's merciful. It's beautiful. Thank you for our salvation that you've provided for us in Christ. May each person here someday be seated at that banquet table in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me give you a few things to think about as we look at this passage. First, we hear a guest make a declaration about salvation. Now, I first want you to notice the accuracy of his declaration What's what he said wrong? Here's what he said. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. If you were to go back into the Old Testament, if you were to read Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9, Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, you would see that that passage tells us there's going to be incredible fellowship with one another, with others. Once we get to heaven, it will be a blessed time. Everyone there will be blessed, just like this man says. But while his declaration was accurate, I think Jesus saw beneath there something that was off because this Pharisee that was gathered there at that table with all the other Pharisee friends, they were rejecting Jesus. Is it even possible for me or you or anybody? In this whole wide world, is it possible for us to go ahead and go to heaven even though we say no thanks to Jesus Christ? You see, there was an assumption beneath that declaration. What he said on the surface, it's true, it's right. You can go back to Isaiah 25, verses six through nine and check him out. But you see, these Pharisees thought, if I'm just religious, if I just do these traditions and these rituals, I know I'm going to be okay, but all the while they're trying to trap Jesus. They're rejecting Jesus. They don't even like Jesus. Do you like Jesus? He loves you, regardless of how we may feel about the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves us with unconditional love, but these people, they were gathered and they didn't love him, and so one time, It's no wonder in John chapter three that Jesus was talking to another Pharisee named Nicodemus and this man was good, he was moral, he was religious. You would think, okay, that guy's for sure gonna be at the banquet in heaven. I know he's going to heaven. But Jesus said, unless you're born again, you're not going to go. You have to be transformed by my grace. And so I'm thinking to myself, oh Lord, even though we make this declaration is it does it have substance to back it up are you making an assumption about a declaration that you would say if someone were to interview you on the street today would you make a declaration and say I'm a Christian but yet there's no personal relationship with Jesus Christ there's no commitment to him whatsoever I want to move to the second thing that we see at the beginning of verse 16. So Jesus begins to unpack a few things about salvation to this man who makes this statement. And what Jesus says is, a man once gave a great banquet. He's about to give a parable. And so when it says a man once gave, I want to just stop right there. That's the way God is. He's a giver, isn't he? I mean, how many of us would raise our hand and say, yep, I thought of oxygen. Yep, I thought of water on our planet. No, none of us thought of that. It was provided. It was given to us by a creator who loves us. He gives us so many things in life. Was it you that decided where you would be born, whose family you'd be raised in? No, I don't think so. Was it you that gave yourself the two arms, the two legs, the brain, the ears, the eyes? No. You see, all your life, all my life, God's been giving us and giving to us. So it's no wonder that in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul, when he's trying to help the people of Ephesus understand about salvation, he says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, It's the gift of God, not a result of works. You know why it's the gift of God, not as a result of works? So that none of us will be up in heaven and we'll be bragging about how polished we were, how good we were, how religious we were, how wonderful we were. I think when we get to heaven, everybody's going to say, I'm only here because he had grace on me. I'm only here because he gave to me something I didn't deserve, the mercy You see, I think that the celebration over salvation is a celebration of a generous God who's provided a way of salvation. And I thought to myself, it's also a great banquet, isn't it? Just like the parable says, a man once gave a great banquet. You know what's going to be great about heaven? It's going to be great because of some of the things that will be there. And it's going to be great because of some of the things that won't be there i tell you what won't be there. You can go back to Isaiah 25, six and nine. You can read later in Revelation, but some of the things that won't be there, there won't be any more death. There won't be tears. There won't be disunity. There won't be all these kinds of sins and so forth that are here on this earth. But I tell you what will be there, the goodness of God, the gladness of God, God himself, his presence. It's a wonderful banquet. That's why he uses the word great. Sometimes we overuse words when we say, it's amazing, it's great, it's wonderful, awesome. There's nothing wrong, of course, with using these words, but sometimes we use them so much that when there truly is something great, we've already overused the word. Don't lose that sense about salvation. It's also a celebrate of, it's a celebration of a gathering, a celebration of gathering. I know that there are extroverts and introverts. And if you're an introvert, maybe for you, heaven is going to be, I just want a place all by myself. Put me up there and let me be by myself. I've been around people way too long. I understand that, you know. Some of us are extroverts. We just, we gain energy as we're around people. We like to be around people. So you're saying, don't put me somewhere by myself in heaven. But I want you to know when he uses that term banquet, you know what he's saying? You're not going to be alone. Who are you looking forward to seeing that's going to be there? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a father, mother. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a brother, a sister, an uncle, an aunt, a grandfather, a grandmother. Somebody that knew Christ. They're going to be there. They had a testimony for Christ. And you are going to sit down at a banquet. And you're going to say, I want to be right by them you're going to see the bible characters you're going to see so many different friends that knew christ you're also going to see your savior and your lord whom you have served and lived for by faith you haven't seen him by sight but when you get there you'll see him as he is i tell you it is a celebration but it's great that there's a celebration but what if you were not invited What if there was a celebration in heaven, but God said, you know what? I don't want you there. You've been too bad. You're not on the list. So in the Jewish culture, Jesus knew this. He goes on to say in verse 16, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. In Jewish culture, there were two invitations, not unlike sometimes when people will write and say, you know, are you coming? There'll be a save the date. There'd be an RSVP, all these kind of things. That was the first invitation that was sent out. It requested, it was an invitation to request your presence at this very special occasion. But there was a second invitation back then that would go out and it was saying, it's ready, all the food's ready, it's time for you to come. If you wrote, I'm coming, you were expected to be there. You can't just leave them high and dry. So that's the original setting. And so remember at that dinner party, who was, who was it that the ruler of the Pharisees had invited? Probably all the notable Pharisees and other people like himself, religious people. And so you'll recall that these Jewish Pharisees are sitting there listening to Jesus as he's telling this parable. So, the parable most likely is reminding those at the table that the Jews were God's chosen people, were they not? Weren't they? They were on the original guest list for salvation twice. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, He's sending out His disciples to go on a mission trip in Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6. And He tells them in verse 5, I don't want you to even go to the Gentiles. No, I want you to go. To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says it a second time when a Canaanite woman is begging him and asking him to please heal her daughter. And Jesus says to that dear lady, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, they were the first ones invited. So, next, I want you to see the fourth point, verse 17. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So you see the preparation, the preparation of salvation. It reminds me of some words that are written in Galatians 4, 4. It said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Come, he says in the parable, come for everything is ready. You see, God wasn't expecting the Jews to pay a lot of money so that they could attend this fundraiser. There were no tickets. The host was saying, I've already paid for everything. I've already supplied and provided everything. It's all ready. All you have to do It's just come. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says that we are not redeemed by silver or gold, but by precious blood of Christ. It says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. That's Titus 3, 5. You see, God is trying to say to the people of Israel at that time, at that banquet, he's trying to say, I've already supplied everything you were invited it's time to come now but i want you to notice what happens next verses 18 and 19 and 20. unfortunately despite how glorious heaven will be despite how gracious god was to invite anybody to this heavenly banquet he didn't have to invite anybody despite the fact that he is incredibly generous to provide and to pay for everything, what we find is some still reject. Some are still saying, you know what? There's more important things in my life than going to that banquet right now. And so what we have are just three sort of samples. They're not comprehensive. These are not all of the reasons that someone might give in response to why they can't come. I'm sorry. Here's my regrets. Here's the reason. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't call them reasons. In the parable, look, at, look closely at what he says in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. So that tells us, that's like a cue. And what it tells us is, these were unacceptable. These were not genuine these were fake rationales that they were trying to give to the people to to the host of why they couldn't come. So one by one they began to decline the invitation to come to this wonderful banquet. One says, well I bought land and I need to go and see it. That's not a good idea, right? Do you usually go and look at your land before you go and buy land? I recommend it myself, but Land ought to be looked at before, not after you buy it. And then there's another one. He's got labor. He said, you know, I just bought oxen and I really need to go and look at these five yoke of oxen to make sure that they're okay. Once again, that's not a good idea to buy them first and then go and check them out, make sure they're healthy. And what I thought was interesting was twice, twice so far, they both said the same thing at the end, didn't they? please have me excused. That's what the man said that had to go and look at the field. Please have me excused. That's also what the man said, who had the five yoke of oxen. But when it comes not to land and labor, but love, this man says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He doesn't even say, please have me excused. And I'm thinking, why not? Why not? What, what, is it? what are all these things? Jesus says, I'll tell you what they are. They're really just excuses. Because what excuse can we humans give to Almighty God when we do not deserve heaven? We don't deserve to be in his family. But when we say to God, I'm sorry, but I can't come to the invitation to salvation in Christ. What would be more important? What would be more valuable? What would be more significant? What would be more meaningful than saying yes to that invitation? And yet we know from John 1 11, it says that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. Isn't that sad? John MacArthur says God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are to be saved. That was my story. He's talking about me. That's the way I was until I got in my first year of college. And suddenly I began to realize, you know what? The party scene is not all that it's cracked up to be. So I began to say, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're drawing me. Thank you that you're speaking to me. Thank you, God, that Jesus died on the cross for me. So my first day in church, if this is your first day in church, we're so glad you're here. But on my first day in church, you know what happened? It was a little prayer time before Sunday school. And I began to weep because I realized how I'd been treating God. No one preached a sermon. No one even taught a Sunday school lesson. It's just a community prayer time before Sunday school. And during that little time, I began to realize, what am I doing with my life? I'm saying no to the very one who loves me better than anyone else. And I had messed up my life in so many ways. But right then and there, I said, that's it. I'm turning. And so I turned in repentance. I didn't even know what to do. But all I knew to say to God was, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the mess that I've made of my life. Please forgive me. Would you please guide me? Would you please help me? I don't know how to do this. But all I know is I'm tired of where I am now. I'm tired of playing a game. And so it was over for me giving God some kind of declination, some kind of rejection, some kind of excuse for why I couldn't come. It was over. But notice what the host does next in the parable, because this is where we come in. This is where I come in. This is where all of us come in. The evangelization about salvation. You see, the host understands they're not coming, but he's got everything ready. The food's going to get cold. The places have been put out at the table. And so just think, oh no, what are we going to do? So the host says, servants, I'm giving you a new mission. You have a new commission. You go out there and anybody and everybody. And I notice when I read these words, I notice the urgency of the mission. It's still urgent because he says, then the master of the host of the house became angry and said to his servant go out quickly go out quickly that's urgency that is an urgent situation time's running out go out quickly and here's what I want you to do go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame and so the servant says well sir what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And I thought to myself, ah, now that moves from urgency to an emergency because there's still all these places. And so it's going to look bad with all these places at that table of the great banquet. And there they are empty. And so the servant says, still there's room. You know, it doesn't matter to me doesn't matter to me how many services that we have to have here. If God will bring the people, we'll make the room. We'll, we'll have two services. We'll have three services, but people need to hear it. Do you have that sense of fervency when he says to him, and the master said to the servant, you go out to the highways and the hedges and you compel them You just compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. Wow. Did you notice that both times he keeps saying, go out, go out, go out. We can't just sit here and expect them to come here. We have to go out. We have to tell them when we're at work. We're about to start a new semester of school, a new year of school. We have to say, hey, you know, you'd be welcome in my class. I would love for you to come to my class and sit with me as we study God's word, to invite them to come to a children's event, to invite them to come to a youth event, to invite them to come to ESP, to invite them to come to the clothes closet, depending on where they are in their lives. All I'm saying is there should be a fervency because there's an emergency. Have you ever heard Billy Gaines' song, There's Room at the Cross for You? There's room at the cross for you. In the song, he says, though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Maybe you were thinking, I don't think they need me there. Yes, we do. Yes, God does. He wants you to have a place at the table. You know, Jesus said that he goes to prepare a place for us in heaven. Some translations say he's going to prepare a mansion. When I was in Ethiopia, uh, my translator told me, he said, we don't, the Ethiopian, the Amoric translation of the Bible doesn't say mansions. And I said, well, why doesn't it say mansions? It says mansions in the English Bible. He says, no, it says he has a seat for you in heaven. Because in Ethiopian homes, very few homes would be considered a mansion. But everybody knows what a seat is. Everybody knows what a place is. So what he says, what we say is, there's a place. There's a seat at the table for you. And the Father wants you to be there. Man, I just want you, I want to assure you that's the way it is. This very day, this morning, there's a seat for you at that table. That's why Jesus died for you on the cross. But I want to share the seventh and most sobering element in the parable, the separation from salvation. You know, if one only reads verse 24, if, if that's all you're going to read, where he says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Maybe you would say, well, that host, he's so rude. He's so unkind. He's so uncaring. You've got to read the whole parable. You've got to see what all's happened up to that point. You've got to see that he's already paid. He's prepared. He sent out invitations. They were supposed to be there. And they said, no thanks. we got more important things going on in our lives than responding to you. And so don't you think that it's incredible how sobering when Jesus changes the, the use of the third person pronoun, talking about him, to personalizing the second person pronoun In this last one when you remember the guy that brought this hall up making the assumption I don't think he pointed to him but I think he may have looked at it and I think he it may have been something like this for I tell you he looks right at him none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet that look that look when the Savior looks at you after he went to the cross And he says, really, you don't wanna be there? You do realize what it's like not to be there, right? Revelation 21, eight says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Why would you wanna go there? Jesus is saying, I want you in heaven at the banquet with me and my friends. You see, the marriage supper of the Lamb is way more than just a part of a parable, right? You understand that? The marriage supper of the Lamb is not a parable. It's not even just a picture. It's a prophecy. It's a promise. And here's what God promised in Revelation 19:9. 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb And he said to me, these are the true words of God. It's true. Someday it's coming. And what he does say about it is, you'll be blessed. You won't be saying, man, this was a bad deal. I'm so sorry that I trusted Christ. I'm so sorry I followed him. I'm so sorry I became his disciple. No, I think when we get there, we're going to say, I'm so blessed, so blessed to sit at this table. No wonder when Jesus sat at the table of the Last Supper in Luke twenty-two sixteen 16 and 18, twice he referred to this banquet when he says to them at the Last Supper, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It's gonna be eating over there. You see the metaphor of feasting at a future messianic banquet You know what it conveys? It conveys eternal satisfaction. Eternal satisfaction. It's going to be a place of incredible joy. I don't think you're going to be sitting there on the cloud playing a harp. Because most of the men I know are not excited about that part. But you know what? It's going to be beyond our wildest imaginations. We can't even begin to imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. That's why Hebrews twelve three says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What an incredible, beautiful picture. Jesus painting with his words. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's really not that hard. And that's why Jesus is trying to break it all down. As he says in this parable, John puts it this way in 1 John 5, 12. It's really easy. Listen to this. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's just that easy. Either we commit our life to Christ or we don't commit our life to Christ. Either we're going to be his disciple until our last breath or we're going to say, no, I believe I'll just play games. I I was there. I'm not going to throw rocks at you for playing games with church and God and so forth. That's the way I was doing it. But I just want you to know I finally got tired of it. I thought, I'm ready to get off this treadmill. I'm ready to go with an adventure of living for Jesus Christ and of experiencing that salvation he provided for me. I want to be in heaven with him in that place where there's no separations. There's no death. There's no tears. There's no sickness. There's no sorrow. I can't imagine anybody not wanting to, to be honest. That's why we always extend an invitation. We have a closing song and I stand out front, musicians, they can come now if they want to, to prepare to lead us in this song. But during the song, I would love to talk with you, to begin a conversation with you about how you can trust Christ. You know, what I found interesting was I, I discovered that the great evangelists from the past, D.L. Moody in 1899, this text, it was his last sermon. Pray this isn't my last sermon. (laughs) It was his last sermon. He only lived one more month, but it's the last time he preached. He was in Kansas City. The name of the sermon was just excuses, excuses. And when he extended that invitation, 50 people said, you know what? We need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I wonder if there's just one. I wonder if there's two or three. I don't know. That's not my job. My job is to tell you the truth. Jesus painted the picture. I held the picture up to you today. It's beautiful. I want you to be there and so to see. Let's stand together. We'll have this time of invitation and then you come if God draws you. Lord, I thank you for how powerful the word of God is. Uh, Lord, you said it will not come back to you void. Everything doesn't have to happen in one day, one time. Not saying that. But I do know that the Word of God will not go back to your void. It will accomplish what you sent it forth to accomplish. And so, Lord, let the Word accomplish what you sent it forth to accomplish today. Perhaps someone here realizes, man, I'm not ready. I don't know. I don't have assurance I'll be at that banquet. I don't even have Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I pray today they would respond to Christ. Lord, this is an invitation to salvation. It's not mine, it's yours. I'm only extending it on your behalf. So those that hear your voice, I pray they would come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.